So I may issue you the right elbow fellowship, but that's about it. I don't want to spread the wealth. Um, so, but the good news is germs don't go over the PA system or over the internet. So you're all good. Well, the 1985 movie Braveheart, starring Mel Gibson, directed by Mel Gibson, is not just about men running around in skirts. It's about a man named William Wallace, a Scottish patriot who led a uprising against the occupying English forces because Scotland was suffering the tyranny and oppression of the uh, King Edward I, also known as Longshanks. He led a group of common men and a group of nobles. Unfortunately, the nobles were not so noble at moments. And if you've seen the movie, it's full of testosterone, blood and guts. And uh, I will say it's not for the faint of heart. But the thing that is most inspiring about the movie is that William Wallace is not ruled by fear. He's not ruled by self-interest or self-protection. He is ruled by the vision of having a free Scotland. And for that, he is willing to give his life. And he does. He does. He's betrayed by some of those lords that he led. And in a scene before he's about ready to be killed, the Princess of Wales, it's not necessarily historically accurate, but the Princess of Wales begs him to ask for mercy from King Edward. And he says that everything I would have done will have been in vain. But then he says to him this very pertinent statement. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. And what he was highlighting is that there are some things in life that are worth living for, and there are things in life that are even worth dying for. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He comes and he brings a greater kingdom. A greater accomplishment than bringing freedom to Scotland, if you will. He comes to set us free from sin and death. From our alienation from the living God, our creator. To give us new life. A new identity. To give us citizenship in his kingdom. To give us membership in his family. But that does not come without conflict. It doesn't come without conflict. Not without opposition, not without cost. And ultimately, it would cost the king his life in a brutal, humiliating death to purchase our salvation, our citizenship, our membership in his family to those who follow him. But again, his kingdom is worth living for and his kingdom is worth dying for. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because death can't stop that kingdom. In fact, when death comes, that kingdom becomes much more of a reality, even more than we experience it on this side of heaven. We are again in Luke chapter 12. And through this whole chapter, we're going to be talking about living for eternity. And it's even going to spill over into the next into the next. Uh, chapter. 
But here's the point. Our public allegiance to Jesus and His kingdom will impact how we experience eternity. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word today, what He has to say to us. So Lord Jesus, we thank You, our King, that You came for us. So You died on the cross for us, took our place, that You rose from the dead, and now you are sitting at the right hand of the King and of the of the Father. And Lord, nothing happens to us, those are your followers, without your permission. So Lord, as we talk about our allegiance to you, would you remind us that of the life we have in you and the greater kingdom that we should be living for and even give up our life for? So Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So we're going to pick it up again at the beginning of chapter 12 here, verses 1 through 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in, in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after who, excuse me, fear him after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, your very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will also be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about what, how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So last week we were in the same passage and we looked at the first five verses and we really looked at two questions. Number one, whose opinion, whose influence, impact are you living, uh, is impacting your living? More specifically, who do you fear? Who do you fear? Who are those people you view as important, influential, and powerful that you're adjusting your life to because you're afraid of what they might do to you? And Jesus says, don't be influenced by the Pharisees. They were people who had power and influence in that society, enough to persecute you or even put you to death. But he says, look, what goes on with them, their influence is hypocrisy. And we can all say, yeah, it's really terrible when people are hypocritical. But what they were doing specifically was they were keeping up appearances, an appearance of having an outward godly life, but inwardly they were not. They were looking to their own righteousness, if you will, of keeping up appearances. And we asked the question, have we fallen into that trap? Because it's real easy in a setting like this to just focus on just being good. But Jesus says, look, everything is going to be revealed. 
every careless word, every careless act. And this is what he says in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. For I tell you uh, who you should fear. Fear the one after your body has been killed. His has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Ultimately, the question is, who will you be held accountable by? Who are you going to stand before? And again, as I said, the Pharisees had power and influence. They had a hand in putting Jesus on the cross. They had a hand in putting many of early believers to death. But throughout history, people of power and influence have put Jesus' followers to death. But here's the truth, though. The truth is, we will not stand before our persecutors, or even our executioners, if you will. We will stand before the living God. He is the one who will judge us. And He is the one to whom He will ask, what did you do with my Messiah? What did you do with my King, the one I sent? You see, the, the good news is not get your act together or be good because none of us can. It's not possible. God had to fulfill His own righteousness by fulfilling it Himself. And what's so important is our faith in Jesus. That's why one of the verses we have our kids memorize in, in Awana is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. See, God is going to punish unrighteousness. And the only way we can be saved by that, from that, is to have our faith in Jesus, who took the penalty upon Himself. Union with Him. That's why in John's uh, first epistle, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he says, This is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in His Son, Jesus. And he who has a Son has life, he who does not have the Son does not have life. So again, every man dies, but not every man lives. What are you living for? In a world that wants to exert its influence and its power on us, we say, no, I fear God more than I fear man, the one whom I'm accountable to. And he's the one who determines my eternal destiny. But here's what I want you to see next. We talked about God's accountability. But within God's accountability is also God's care. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the hairs of your head, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Sparrows were considered, probably still are, insignificant significant creatures. You could buy five for two pennies at the market to sacrifice or even for food, I guess, if you were a very poor person. But God says, they're my creation. And Jesus says, not one of them is forgotten by God. He sees them. He knows these simple creatures and they're significant to Him. Now Jesus argues from the lesser, the sparrows, to the greater, us. He says in verse 7, he says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. 
Some of us have more numbers than others. But do not be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You are His creation. In fact, you are made in His very image. And because of that, He sees you. He knows you. He has numbered your very hairs in your head. We can joke about who has more hair or not, but here's the point. He is intimately acquainted with you. He knows you like no one else. And you're worth more than these sparrows. And He sees you. Even in the midst of trials and testing. And here's what we need to know. If death or persecution comes, it's still going to come through God's loving hand. Our Father's loving hand. He is the one who graciously gives permission. You know, we say earlier, you're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. I want to tell you this. That if God the Father allows you to give your life for your faith, it will be an act of love for Him to do that. And here's what I also want to remind you of. That death is a momentary experience. It may even be a short season, if you will but it gives way to greater life. See, this is the blessing of the kingdom. It does not stop when this life stops. And this is why Jesus says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. It should give us courage. It should give us courage to follow Him and give our lives living for Him and give our lives even dying for Him because you can't lose your life ultimately. You can't lose your life because God says, I've got it. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, 8. He says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. He's got you. He's got me. If your faith is in Christ, He's got you. His care is surrounding you. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from His hand. That's the reality. And by the way, there are lots of people giving their lives for all sorts of things. Is there anything better than giving your life for the, for the kingdom of God and for Jesus Christ? And the third thing I want us to know from this, and this is where we get hung up sometimes, but it's a reality that we need to, 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 to focus in on, at least on this side of heaven, that justice does not ultimately come on this side of heaven. Because you and I sometimes get tripped up because we know that we have a good, good father. And we look at life circumstances and we go, God, you're good, but what's going on here? Whether it's injustice or whether it's tragedy. And we say, God, how does, how does a good God allow this to happen? How does a good God allow this to happen? We need to know that justice is not ultimately accomplished on this side of heaven. I think of, and many of you know, the Fisher family, A.J. and Ariana. Two kids that have been a part of our program, most, and wheel-bound, wheelchair-bound most of the time. And you look at, and, and they love Jesus, which is awesome. But unless God does a miracle in each one of those kids' lives, and they're physically, 
they're always going to be wheelchair bound. I don't know how long they have to live a, quote, normal life per se. But God loves them. God loves them. And you know what? When this life is done, they'll be fully restored. They will not be wheelchair bound. And God will make that right. So we don't need to be stuck thinking, oh, is it always going to be like this? And God will bring justice. God will bring justice to those who have broken His law or been abusers. That's why, that's why God says in Romans twelve nineteen says, leave justice to me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'm going to take care of that. But here's the reverse side of this too. And this is where we ought to be glad that God doesn't bring justice on the side of heaven. Is we ought to be grateful that God doesn't show us His justice. We don't get what we deserve. Because all of us are His lawbreakers. I remember Chris's dad, Ron, and I'd greet him and say, how are you doing, Ron? And he says, better than I deserve. I love that. I love that because he knew that he had experienced God's grace. And in fact, God delaying bringing his kingdom is really an exercise of his mercy and grace because when he comes, when he's back, that's it. There will be no chance to repent, no chance to turn toward him. He's delaying his return, ultimately, so that people will, will repent. Just like he says in Second Peter 3, 9 through 10. God doesn't bring justice on the side of heaven, and we ought to be grateful. I need to keep going here. But there's going to be a moment in each one of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ where our faith will be questioned, it will be challenged, even threatened. Our reputation our careers or opportunities, maybe, living, maybe even our lives. And here's the question. Who or for what will you stand? And this is what Jesus says. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. As I said earlier, the kingdom of God does not come without conflict. And to many in our, our world, the good news about Jesus Christ is offensive. It's offensive because it tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that we can't fix ourselves. It tells us that we are God's creation, and He actually has something to say about how we ought to live our lives rather than us doing our own things. And it's It's exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's, that's offensive in a, a pluralistic world who wants many ways and many options and many choices. And this was true in the first century, and it's true today. There will be moments, if you're public with your faith as, following, as, following, as far as following Jesus, you'll be tempted to deny that faith because we fear what a mother what another might do to us, harm our well-being for the present. But the kingdom of God does not live for the present. It lives for eternity. And Jesus says in verse 8 again, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, literally before men, the Son of Man, there's a play on words, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. He says, you publicly identify with me before men? 
I, the Son of Man, will publicly identify with you before the citizenship of heaven, before God's holy angels. You claim me as your own, and I will claim you as my own. Because you put your faith in me. Come what may, no matter what happens. Your faith is in me as your Lord and your God, and I am your life. In contrast, verse 9, But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And to disown is to deny your faith in Christ because you fear men and women and what they might do to you. What they might think of you. And you put more value on the present than the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you, maybe some of us don't outwardly deny Christ, but are we hiding sometimes our faith in Christ because we're afraid of what might people think, think of us or what they might do to us? Are we subtly denying Christ and just kind of hiding that? I'm not saying we need to go out and put a, a fish sticker on everything or anything of that nature. I'm just saying, are we hiding our faith in Jesus? To disown Him is to put us in a position of being disowned. But this is interesting and there's hope even in that. And this is kind of in a backhanded way. Look at verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But everyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's kind of an interesting statement in this progression of thought. And, and what, why is this here? And I'll, I'll do my best to, to try and pack it, especially in the context of the Gospel of Luke. Verse 10, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. We're going to get to chapter 22. And Peter, the rock, is going to deny Jesus, his master. He's going to say, I do not know him. I am not connected with him. I am not one of his followers. And after he locks eyes with Jesus, he goes away and he weeps bitterly. Not only had he denied his, his Lord, but he denied his faith in him. There's a danger of condemnation. But it's not the unforgivable sin. He's forgiven. He's restored. And I love the story in John 21. But what I'm saying is that Jesus, it was, it was really denying that connection with Jesus. Now, I'm not his follower. If that's you, you have a chance to repent and to turn back. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. In contrast, though, verse, the second half of verse 10, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You're not just denying your faith in Christ. Rather, it's attributing to the work within the Holy Spirit of Christ the work of the devil. The saying, this is evil. This is what's going on. It's not only saying that I'm not connected with Jesus. It's saying the spirit that's at work within him is that of the devil. It's to malign the Holy Spirit. It's to deny what God is doing. And these are sober words. It's a place where you won't be forgiven. And 
Folks, I don't have time to unpack that, that thought. I don't even know if I can. But those are serious, serious words. And they're words that we need to take seriously from Jesus. Again, to follow Jesus is to proclaim His kingdom, to let people know about it. They ought to see it in us. They ought to see in people like Meredith, man, there's something different about you. But we will face opposition. It's going to come if it hasn't come to you already. In fact, pretty much Jesus guarantees opposition. In the Gospel of John, he says in verse chapter 16 of verse 33, he says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And here's the last point I want you to focus in on today. Whom will you lean on when you are tested? Whom will you lean on when you are tested? Verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Again, this is the Gospel of Luke. Luke also writes Acts, which starts out in chapter 2 with the, the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers. But there's a promise of His presence of the Holy Spirit in persecution, that He will be with us. Also the promise that He will equip us what to say and what to do and we don't have to depend on our own resources. We don't have to white-knuckle it. We don't have to pull all-nighter and, and look through books and things of that nature. Say, what am I going to say? He says, no, I will give you what you need to say. You don't need to figure it out on your own. And it's a call to faith. It's a call to faith to say, God, you're going to work through me as I am the temple of your Holy Spirit. To make you known. And it's also in moments like this where you actually experience closeness and intimacy with Him. This is what Paul says in his last letter to Timothy. He talks about a trial that he goes through. 2 Timothy 4 verses 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one came to my support. He's on trial here. But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But... The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely home to His kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We believe historically after that Paul was beheaded and went home to be with the Lord. But Paul always said to live was Christ. To die is gain. You see, every man, every man dies. Not every man really lives. If you're a Christ follower, there's going to be a moment when you're going to call, be called to stand up for Him. And what will you do? Who will you fear? Will you look to the accountability and the care of your Heavenly Father? Notice every person of the, of the Godhead is in this. Will you trust in the connection and the union and salvation of the Son? 
And will you lean on the presence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit? It might be a moment where you experience God more than you ever have on this side of heaven. Will you stand for Him? Will you trust that He's going to meet you with Himself? Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Let me pray, and then I'll have the worship team come and close us. Lord Jesus, these are words that are for our good. Would you help us to grasp them and hold on to them? And even for our young people who are here today, would you help them to grasp them? And Lord, help us to know that your kingdom is not fully realized here on this side of heaven. But we have a kingdom we can live for and a kingdom we can even die for and never lose our lives. So, Lord, embolden us, fill us with hope, and fill us with joy that you know us, our very hairs are numbered, and we are in the care of our very, very good Father, the Savior, and filled with your Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, it's your name I pray these things. Amen. Let's stand as we respond in worship.